0: And if you are a first time listener, welcome to the show. You are in for a treat. I am super excited to have this guest back on. We are friends. We've been talking here and there, and I'm just excited about what she has going on, what she's done and just overcoming everything that she's had to overcome over these last 12 months. So I'm excited to have Shana Orzik Sissel on today. And yeah. welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be back on. I loved our first episode. It feels like a million years ago, these pandemic years, they feel like decades, not just like a normal year. Right. And it's been a while, but I'm glad to be back.
0: It is good to have you back. I've seen you recently were at a conference. We missed each other at different conferences, unfortunately, but we well, will see each we other we
1: did see each other very briefly. And I think I actually have a photo documenting that we did actually see each other for five seconds in April at
0: the exchange. It was very quick. I have that photo. Yes, yeah, there do is documentation.
1: <laughs> we were at the same place at the same time and I actually got to speak for five minutes.
0: That was nice. It has been nice to just be able to go back to conferences. I know we had the time off, but to be back, I know you want to excel recently and I know it would look like it was fabulous. We are fortunate enough to be at Future Proof, which was also just a wonderful conference. And just to see friends, right? I mean, this isn't even has anything to do with the show's about today, but how was it to see some of your friends that you hadn't seen in a while at the conference?
1: It's amazing. And it's so funny because you and I know each other through Twitter. That's how we kind of got to know each other. And when you get to meet the people you've been communicating with and networking with in real life, Lizetta, I know you know Lizetta Braxton. She like literally stopped me at Excel and was like, Shayna Sissel and gave me the biggest hug. And I'd never met Lizetta before, but I knew exactly who she was. Mm -hmm. And that's how it is. And it's part of why I love our FinTwit community, because you get to know people, even if you haven't met them in real life. And then when you finally do meet them, you feel like you've known them forever. And it's just so great to go to these conferences. I have been working remotely now since September of 2018. And so I've basically gotten used to it to the point where if I ever had to go back to like a full-time job in the office, I don't know if I could do it. I just don't think I could, but it is very isolating. So having the opportunity to get out and go to conferences for a couple of days and get a new perspective, see people in person, socialize, I think that is really important and just being in touch and engaged with the community of financial planners and financial advisors and what's going on in the industry. And then also just building those relationships. You can build them somewhat online, but meeting in person is like the true difference maker.
0: Yes. Because you think about it and we haven't been able to see each other forever. Like usually you see each other at a conference, but then we couldn't, I have a similar story for you. And it's funny because it was Riyanka that I had met. I had never met Riyanka. So we're walking uh, to the conference, like walking from our hotel, the conference. And I was like, I see her and I was like, Riyanka, we've never met. We see each other on social media. And I was like, Riyanka. And she was like, and I was like, hey, so we give each other a big hug and we're just chatting. And, and I think like it makes things because like you said, you're so isolated when you're I've been working at home for since 2019, I think. So it's been some time. And just to be able to see someone's smiling face and have some warm conversation and just to see people like I love people. So it's incredible to be able to do that and then share the same sentiments as you, just being able to get a new perspective, fresh outlook on stuff and re-energize to come back and be at home to continue the good fight. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm thinking it was a blast. But so let me do this, because not everybody has listened to the episode. I don't know why they wouldn't. So if you haven't listened to the episode where Shana was on before, please go back and listen to that episode. We'll put that in the show notes. We'll make it easy when this one's up. So you just go back to that. But for those of that don't know who you are, please give them a little background on who you are.
1: All right, so in that first episode, my life's changed a lot since then, and it wasn't that long ago. It's only like a year, maybe 14 months ago that I did that interview to think how much has changed in my life since that interview, but who I am. Well, now I started my own firm. Back then, I was the CIO of an REA in the Chicago suburbs, but now I am the president, founder, and CEO of Boundary and Capital Management. If you listen to the episode, I talk a lot about sort of my journey as a woman in this industry. And fun fact, I was a beauty queen back in the day and pageants are a huge part of who I am and how I've gotten to be where I am. I'm really passionate about women in finance and encouraging women to get into this industry. So. I would say I was a reluctant founder when I founded Bonrien, but the name Bonrien is sort of a nod to my passion for women in the industry, but also my background in pageants, which is basically what we talked about the entire time in the last episode. I'm not a creative person. I don't consider myself somebody who has great creative juices out there. Although for some reason, I do have like moments of brilliance. And when I was trying to think of what to name my company, I was thinking I wanted to call it Queen Capital, Tierra Capital, something lame like that. First off, it sounded lame. Second of all, it's taken anyways. So (laughs) you start Googling and you realize everything's (laughs) gone. So I'm like, I don't know what to call my company because you have to come up with something that's not registered because you can't start a company if the name is registered somewhere already. And so I had to find a name that didn't exist. And so I just put into like Google Translate or like one of those software or like search engines where you can throw in a word and it gives you like how that translates into like a million different languages. Mm -hmm. So I threw the word queen into the translator to see all the different languages, how they say queen. And uh, Banrian is the Gaelic word for queen. And so people can't see this, I don't think. But behind me, I have my logo, which is a four-leaf clover. And my mom is an immigrant. She was born and raised in Ireland. And so when I was looking through, I looked at the Gaelic word and I looked at the Polish word because that's I'm half Irish and half Polish. My dad's parents are from Poland and Bondrian just sounded cool. Mm -hmm. And so then I put it into Google search. It's like Bondrian asset management, Bondrian capital, like none of it was taken. I'm like, this is awesome. And it just sounds sophisticated and easy logo and colors were simple and so that's where it came from. So that kind of ties into what we talked about last time, which is mm-hmm. focus on women in the business and my background and how I sort of become who I am and the role that pageants play in me becoming the woman I am today. And the name of my company, Bon and Capital Management, is kind of a nod to both of those
0: things. I love it. I love the colors. I love the name. Allegedly, this is what I heard about my own name. My name's supposed to be Gaelic. It's not spelled that way. But it's supposed to be Yale Like, and it's allegedly means charming. That's what I heard. I don't know how true it is. Maybe well, I should use Google. It's probably
1: appropriate.
0: I'm I, gonna I'll, say
1: I'll, it is appropriate. <laughs> we do become what our names sort of say. When our parents name us, it really does drive who you become. I believe that. That's why I tried so hard. I'm sure you can appreciate this when you're like naming your own kids. Like, mm-hmm. okay. You worry about like, are the initial blame, What yeah. horrible ways can people, kids use this to pick on them? <laughs> Is it going to help them in life? It's a responsibility, man. And uh, it is. But I think we all kind of become our name and representative of our name. So it's a responsibility when you're naming a company or child or anything to make sure that it's representative of who you want to be.
0: Absolutely. And I think just the story around what the name of the company is and then the roots, like you were able to tie in some of your roots to this. And I love the logo. I love the hearts. like the. I love it. I think it's great. I'm excited to see where, where you take it. I'm excited to see that. So today we're going to talk about overcoming challenges to achieve goals. And I know that you've had some challenges over the last 14 months since last we've been on. And I know there's been some that you've overcome. So let's start there. Let's just talk a little bit about it. And uh, please share with us.
1: So, anyone who listens to the first episodes knows sort of the challenges I faced when I was a kid. I won't rehash that. If you're really interested in hearing sort of my story about how I grew up, listen to the episode. We're going to send them over to that. Like the last five years have probably been extraordinarily difficult for me, but the last 14 months, basically since the start of the pandemic, so that's really two years, have been just awful. And then from October 2021 until recently, It's just gotten progressively worse. And when I say that, I want to kind of provide context because I think just on outward appearance and for transparency reasons, like people see some of this stuff and they want to ask questions, but then they're like, we don't want to really know her. So maybe it's not appropriate. So I'm just going to put it all out there and people can judge or not judge or whatever they want. But I've been laid off three times and since October of 2021. Last time we spoke, I was the CIO of Spotlight Asset Group. Um, Won't get into the drama over there, but Spotlight has had some drama and unfortunately had to let me go in October of 2021. I did a short consulting gig. And then in November 2021, I took a job with an REA in Cleveland. And after three months, and as we all know, the market sort of started to struggle then, margins were a little tight and They were doing some acquisitions and re-examining the budget and just thought we like her, but she's not in Cleveland and everybody else is. And there's an expense to that travel of having her come here regularly and her job's not really critical to what we're doing and achieving. So thanks, but no thanks. So that happened. I started in the middle of October and that was like January 19th of 2022. And after that, I was on the job search again, had a bunch of offers. After sitting and really talking to my family and the people who matter to me about which offer was going to be the best one for me, I opted for a job for an REA in Washington, D.C. And at my 90-day review, I received a wonderful review. But then they were like, we think you're great, but we think that we're too small a firm, or you're very talented. These are the things. I wish I had more color and I feel like there's probably more to the story than what they're telling me, but I can only go on what they're telling me. And I've replayed the scenario in my mind back a million different ways. And I have yet to really figure out if there was something I did or anything to that extent, but they let me go and right after Inside ETFs in the middle of that. I got divorced. I had been seeing somebody for two years. My divorce was finalized in that period, but I had been seeing somebody for two years that I had a very long history with. I've known him for 25 years and we broke up right around the same time that I lost my job and all my savings was gone because I got divorced and that's not cheap. And when you're laid off that many times, you kind of lean on your savings. So I didn't have anything left. All of us financial professionals, and I know you tell your clients, got to have an emergency fund. But the truth of the matter is, there's only so much you save for an emergency. And it's usually six months. And I have had a year of instability and a divorce to add into that. And so I was kind of left with nothing. And I didn't know what to do. When you get laid off three times in one year, your resume looks really spotty and all sorts of red flags. And sometimes you're not given the opportunity to explain. And so you have to kind of figure out what to do. So I had this LLC that I had started just except speaking fees. And I had been really hesitant to go all in. And that's largely because I don't come from a family where risk is something we do. My dad was a cop and my mom was an inner city school teacher. And the only thing my dad ever wanted for his kids was a pension and a union. Not like you don't take risks this is stability because you'll be able to support your family until the day you die and your spouse and you have job security because you have the union behind you. And like, that's what you do. And he wanted me to be a teacher more than anything. And my siblings are all kind of in that world. They still live in Worcester, Massachusetts. And the majority of my family is in public service in some way, shape or form, teachers, nurses, police officers, all of them been in the military. And so I kind of went the outlier way, but I don't have that inherent like entrepreneur risk-taking gene. I ran a college painting business in college and it was a epic disaster to say the least. And I didn't feel like if I couldn't succeed in that, like how could I possibly run my own business? And also when you're trying to start your own business, it really helps if you have a little bit of capital that you can put into it to get it started. And I have nothing. So But I had a big idea and I was afraid to really go out and tell people, like, I want to start my own business and tell people what I was doing because the risk of doing that is a big part of me really just wants the corporate job, the stability, the regular paycheck, and the benefits to support my son. So if I was out there saying I'm starting my own business and going all in, what are potential employers going to say if they're interviewing me for a job? Are you committed to us or are you committed to starting your own firm? And at the end of August, I didn't know how I was going to pay my rent. I remember it like it was yesterday, August 24th. I had no idea how I was going to pay my rent. I had exactly $100 in my checking account and I couldn't buy groceries. I definitely couldn't pay any of my utility bills. I couldn't make my car payment. And I knew I had no money to pay my rent, none. Unemployment, if anybody's wondering, it pays $2,000 total a month, which wasn't gonna cut it. So I was actually shopping Instacart for most of the summer, seven, eight, nine hours a day to make extra money. And I'm sitting like confiding to people. I finally just said on LinkedIn, like, Hey, do you need help? Like I had interviewed for tons of jobs. Nothing had worked out. Look, this is what I'm thinking. If you need anything, just reach out. Somebody did reach out. I got one small short-term consulting contract, which it paid my rent. It was just enough to pay my rent. But I had scheduled months ago when I was employed and thought I was on the right track to take my son to Disney at the end of this month, next week to be exact. And I remember telling one of my friends, Shauna, um, I can't let my kid down. I promised him I'd take him to Disney in like March. This is the plan. I know what I have to do. If I have to work 100 hours a week doing Instacart, I'm taking my kid to Disney. Like I promised him. And then it started to snowball. I went from that one short term client and then I landed another client, a strategic partnership, kind of white label deal with a firm that has a product that's aligned very much with what I'm trying to build. And so we signed a strategic partnership. And then I signed a second strategic partnership. And I potentially have a third one coming up. And so and and then I was offered a board position that paid. And all of a sudden, I went from I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent to now potentially signing enough revenue and income to actually make more than I was making prior. Still got some stuff to make up for from all the fact that I have to rebuild my savings and everything. But still, it was kind of like, I can survive. People actually do want to work with me. They do think I have expertise. I have a bigger vision for Bonrian. Quite frankly, I'm just throwing it out there. If you want to invest, please let me know. Cause I, I'm looking for an anchor or a seed investor for the idea of Bonrian. But what I have as a vision for Bonrian is I want Bonrian to be the PIMCO for alternatives. So the place you go for all things having to do with alternatives, whether that be education or the like. I'm sure you can appreciate this right now. It's all that's working. And at the same time, everybody wants to talk about it. Like how many people want to talk about the death of the 60-40 portfolio? It's everywhere. I did an interview with the Wall Street Journal back in June, which was fun because I was unemployed, had no money, and somebody from the Wall Street Journal was calling me. And I thought to myself, like, I must not be the worst person in the world if I'm unemployed, broke, and I still have people from the journal calling me because they want my opinion on something. But there is an article in the journal that I'm quoted in about record inflows into liquid alternative mutual funds and ETFs. And it was actually kind of critical of like expenses and everything. And it just, that's where my idea came from as reading that article, just so many of the misconceptions out there about what alternatives are, how you use them, and just the lack of knowledge, education, even from the traditional institutions that have typically provided that because it's so different. And it's also fairly new. 40 Act Liquid alternatives have not been available all that long. The rule change was in 2008. So they really didn't come to be a thing until the financial crisis. And then they did horribly for ever because they're not equity beta. And mm-hmm. uh, so they're not going to perform in line with the market. And the market's going straight up. So they look <laughs> awful. And then compared to fixed income, people, they're super complex. So even though they might perform slightly better than fixed income because they're more equity is. Advisors just don't want to have to keep answering the same questions about the really complicated fund that they don't really understand that's not performing well in the context of broader markets. So nobody wanted to talk about it. And for years, I've been talking about how this is really important for diversification. And what I've seen is that there's a lot of emphasis and a lot of new companies and ideas and startups that are being built on the idea of democratizing and improving access to private alternatives. For advisors, and four investors that are accredited and meet the regulatory hurdle. But nobody's doing the cross-selling of how do you incorporate it across an entire book of business? Because the average advisor probably only has like 40, maybe 50% of their book that qualifies for those private funds. And if you're going to use them, you want to have continuity. You want to be able to always be able to put new clients into make allocations to it and A lot of the platforms out there are private equity. They have limited fundraise. And then once it's closed, it's closed. You get a new client. You got to find a new fund. And now you got to know lots of different stuff about lots of different funds. And most see it as a tactical thing because there's liquidity. But the fact of the matter is, I look at alternatives as a way to diversify portfolios. And Larry Swetrow wrote a book about this in 2018, I think. And then Phil Huber just wrote a book similarly about how if you incorporate managed futures, equity market neutral, global macro into a portfolio. In addition to equity and fixed income, you can really improve risk adjusted returns, but nobody knows how to build that. We teach Mm -hmm. advisors how to build equity portfolios, right? Mm -hmm. Large cap, small cap, mid cap, growth, value, core. We teach them how to build fixed income, right? Like short term, long term, intermediate term, corporate, investment grade, Mm -hmm. high yield, floating rate. We know that. Well, nobody knows anything about how to build an alt portfolio unless you've been in the hedge fund world and you understand. And then there's a whole aspect of advisors out there that I've talked to that think that covered call and buy right and leap strategies are alternatives in that sense. And they're not. They're just hedged equity beta. So they're not actually diversifying anything. They're just tactically providing downside protection when you think equities aren't going to do well. And quite frankly, if you look at half of them, they aren't doing what they advertise because guess what? All of those things use treasuries is collateral. Right. And so you're getting whipsawed. So you got to understand these things and they're not as complex as people think. Yes, the availability of what's in the marketplace and the 40X space is very limited, but that's how I view on as being sort of the place to go to get your full turnkey solutions, both in the private space. That's what I'm doing with my partnership with Thirdwire Asset Management. They work with advisors to create customized risk-managed portfolios of private alternatives like hedge fund, LP kind of things that are very diversified. They match liquidity constraints with whatever the client's comfortable with, whatever the client's risk tolerance is that you can just plug into the portfolio and have that there for the client. And on my end, I have some liquid alt models that advisors can use. And the goal is to turn my model into an actual fund so that you can just go and trade it whenever you want. But that's the goal. And I also am working with a firm called Vested, which is doing sort of venture capital indexing, but it's not replication. It's actual venture capital exposure. It's super interesting. If you were at Futureproof, and they were there too, I believe Dave Thornton was on a panel and he spoke about what they're doing at Vested. They're basically helping startup employees finance their option they get options, they can exercise at certain points. And most of the time, you have to have all the money to exercise the option at the option price. Most startup employees don't have $80,000, $90,000 just to sit around. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they finance that transaction for the employee. And then as their fee, they collect a percentage of the options that are exercised and they put them in a fund. So they can get access to every major startup Mm -hmm. and deal that's out there in the venture capital space. And you don't have to worry about being with Sequoia or the 20 names and the two that work and the 18 that don't, like this is a hundred names. It is pre-IPO access to private funds and it is a recurring, there's always employees that are looking to exercise options. So it's not like a fund that is going to close and then Uh they raise a completely different fund and you have no idea. It's a really cool product. It's also a product that's easy to understand and to explain to clients. And so the goal is to provide these turnkey solutions that advisors can plug and play, but also provide them with the resources they need, just like, say, a Morningstar or Pimco or Ibsen or Lipper, where you can go and just do your own research if you want to build your own portfolios, because now you have the knowledge to know that I don't like Shana's choices in her fund. I think I can do a better mousetrap. So I'm going to pick a global macro fund I think is better, or I would rather have XYZ exposure instead of managed futures. And so it's one of those things where I want to provide a portal where they can have a database of information where all the categorization aligns, right? Because Morningstar categorizes their alternative funds differently than say HFRI, which I don't understand like why you would try to recreate the wheel, the HFRI categories and the Barclays hedge and Credit Suisse. I mean, those categories are all exactly the same and they've existed for like 30 years. So why are we reinventing the wheel? But the goal is to have like one place where everything's easily to search. They're all categorized the same collectively. You can pick and choose. And then the other problem, of course, is that the average retail investor and the average advisor doesn't have access to tools that can analyze products that are short or use derivatives. So we want to provide them with the access to analytical tools within our portal that will also allow that. Think Morningstar Direct, but only in the alt space where Mm -hmm. you can do overlap analysis and you can put your portfolio in there and all that information comes out and then give compliance and operation guidelines for updating ADVs and what you need to worry about and streamlining everything in one place. And so whenever you're building an alt portfolio, just like a lot of people go straight to BlackRock or PIMCO when they're building fixed income or an equity, they go to Vanguard or whatever. We want to be that for alternatives because there's really nobody else doing that. So Anybody out there that's listening to this that wants to invest, we don't need a lot to get this (laughs) up and running, but we need something to really build out mostly the technology. There's a small lift investment that needs to be made to convert my model into an ETF. It's not like a free service, but we would be profitable immediately upon doing that because we have the seed capital to do that. So it's really cool, but I guess my point of this very long story where I'm sitting here just listening, but the point of this very long story is that In the last year, I went from deep depression, not being able to get out of bed, very irritable, which would come across sometimes in my tweets on Twitter kind of combative sometimes. And you saw me on TV a lot and then you didn't see me on TV that much anymore. But that was a decision I made to not put myself out there because I had changed firms and titles so many times. I felt like it looked amateur hour to the producers, even though they were still willing to book me. My name title were screwed up more times than I care to remember because it's changed so much. And just out of respect. I didn't want to have a million changes again. So I chose to step back and only accept opportunities when they were presented to me as opposed to go out and get them. And through all of that, I still at my very bottom, when I really didn't know if I was going to be homeless, managed to build something out of nothing. And now it's I almost feel like at this point, I have no choice but to go all in on boundary. because now I have revenue and clients and Now I'm actually promoting it, which means basically any corporate employee is going to look at that and be like, they're not going to consider me for a job. So it's been a really interesting journey, to say the least, of just the highest highs and the lowest lows. But I feel like in many ways, God, the universe, whichever you choose to refer to the higher power that you believe in, has been shutting these doors on me because the path they wanted me to take was this one, and I just was so resistant to it because it's so far out of my comfort zone as a single mom who is financially responsible for a child completely. It's scary because it is unstable. and I am constantly having these moments where I'm like, I need at least one or two more clients. I need this investor to have more stability. But I have a big idea. I know there's a need for it. And as I'm learning, people do view me in a positive way and want to work with me because they see my experience and my expertise and my vision.
0: Absolutely. So you mentioned a few things in there that I wanted to back up on. First of all, I appreciate you coming on and being so candid and with sharing what you were going through. I think sometimes people don't like to share that way because we want to have everything all together, but this is real life. Life happens. Mm-hmm. And sometimes things just happen the way they happen to you in this time. And, and we've all had difficult times and then tried to navigate them. But to see you navigate this and then be so open to talk about it, I'm telling you right now, when people listen to this, this is going to connect with people. People are going to resonate with people talking about you're still trying to make promises to your son. You went through one job that you lost. You lost another job. And when I hear that, it makes me think about some things that I went through as well, because I'm not a good employee. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just not like it. Like, I just kind of we were talking about the paper route before, and that was my yeah. first job, it's kind of independent, right? And since then, I've always Ditto. been to back to that. And I think just the way you're sharing and the passion that you have about what you're going to do, not what you're trying to do, mm-hmm. but what you're going to do. And I think it's going to come across. I'm excited for you. I think that you learned something on the journey. And a lot of people try to get to the destination. And the journey is more important. Yeah,
1: I learned not just a lot about myself and my mental health. Like I had to make a concerted effort to improve my mental health. I'm very fortunate to get to work with a coach over at Carson Group, Sarah Kane, who was instrumental in helping me through that very difficult time mentally. Physically, my health has deteriorated. I posted a picture a while back. Anybody who pays much attention would have noticed that I lost 20 pounds in like a week, which I'm not a big person. People who don't know me, I'm tiny. Emily's met me. He knows I am a <laughs> tiny person. So yeah. if I lost 20 pounds, it's basically going to skin and bones. And it was very visible to me like my entire face sunk in. My hair was like looked very unhealthy. I could put on all the makeup in the world and I still looked like death and my clothes didn't fit. So there was that. I had to. with that i'm still dealing with that being in my car or instacart driving 10 15 hours a day have caused my occipital nerve injury that or 2017 to rear its ugly head again and i'm dealing with that presently so it is a work in progress but to your point like the journey is part of it and i also think that a lot of people look at folks like yourself and myself and a lot of the people we know And think that we're like invincible and that we don't have any idea or appreciation for people who are struggling. And I think that that is a fallacy. And if we are more honest about it, like, I think there will be people who troll us because that's just the nature of the beast. Whenever you're completely vulnerable, there's always going to be a person who wants to kick you when you're down. But more often than not, people will see like, wow, wow she's gone through all the kind of hell that I've gone through, or he's gone through as much hell as I've gone through. And they struggled mentally, they struggled physically, but they were still able to like get up every day and persevere. And I think that there's something very inspiring to anyone out there to see that your current situation does not define who you will be and that you share value in this world, even at the moments where you are ready to say, like, I swear, if I didn't have a child, I probably would have taken my own life because I didn't see any value in what I was bringing to the world. And I was just miserable and lonely. But I did have a son and I did have that sense of responsibility that drove me to find a way to make it work. And everybody in the world could be like, no, you will make it through this. But when you're in that sense of darkness, you don't see the light. And so it's important to understand that others have gone through it and that they have made it through because when you're in that moment, those stories are what you need to help you through.
0: You're 1000% right. And I think the sharing of the story makes it even more powerful, right? I think there's something about when we talk about the difficult times that we go through and when we talk about it and we don't know what other people are going to think, I think that's the best time. And it sounds weird, right? I think that's the best time to share it. I've been there and I was real vulnerable and I shared some stuff about my own life and on on one of my podcasts, right? So I shared this whole thing about when I got a DUI and all this stuff that I had to go through. And I shared that and I was like, what's going to happen? Like now people are going to, oh my gosh, he messed up and he had this and this happened and blah, blah, blah. And I was so worried about that. And the response that I got from people was like, oh man, you know, this happened to me, this happened to me, not necessarily Mm -hmm. the same thing, but it was like you being vulnerable, I think vulnerability and authenticity is a buzzword now. Everybody wants to be authentic, but I think being vulnerable is actually more authentic.
1: Exactly. And I think that that brings truth to that statement of you never know what somebody's going through at the time, no matter what their outward appearance is. I have definitely been seen by a lot of people who know me on a superficial level as like the pretty white girl who couldn't possibly know what struggle is. And we talked about this on the first episode I was on, like, that's not at all where I come from. My brother had serious, serious addiction problems that there was gang life issues. There was threats in life. There's mental health problems that are so severe that. I'm not going to embarrass any family members where people have been institutionalized and abuse and violence and all of those things are part of my story. So what you see on the outside is a concerted effort to present myself in the way I want the world to see me, but it's not necessarily a reflection of who I am and what I've been through. And it's only in recent years that I've learned that that occasional vulnerability to tell people your story is how you make connections. Because many of the connections I've made, especially with the folks on FinTwit in particular, who have very, very powerful stories of true, true hardship beyond even, I look at my upbringing and think it was hard, but I had two parents and they didn't have much, but they made sure that we had what we needed. Some people have stories where they lived in their car, where they're father was an addict and somebody killed their mother and things like that. Like that's hardship I can't imagine. But Mm -hmm. that vulnerability leads to connection in a way that I think you can't get if you just come across as this perfect person who's just successful and attractive. And what could she possibly know about what it means to struggle? Well, uh, there is struggle in everyone. And that's why it's so important that like we try to not judge people on the superficial things we see them at a moment in time.
0: 100% agree on that. And one thing I'll add to that is there's this video. I can't even remember what it was. I've seen it a couple times. I've seen one in a beta group that I was in, but this is another one. So, and I know I showed this to Madi too, but anyhow, so you never know what someone else is going through mm-hmm. because we do a good job of not letting people know that we're going through anything. And so there's this video that we had and it was like, a person walking around and then it has a caption of what's going on. They just found out that they're going to be a father for the first time. Then the next Mm -hmm. person comes out this caption. They just found out that they had cancer. Another caption. This person just found out that their dad only has two weeks to live. You know what I mean? And all these different scenarios are going on in people's lives. And the only reason you know, because you're watching the video and it has the caption, but the people that they're talking to have no idea what's going on. And I think that that is how the world Works. We never know. And so, what I always tell people when we're talking is just lead with kindness because you don't know what's going on and you don't know when you're going to need it. So, I think compassion and kindness are something that people are starting to lead with more. And I think that that compassion is coming across not only in our personal relationships, but it's also coming across in the industry. I think that the industry, financial services, is beginning to become more compassionate, not only for the consumers, but also for the people that are doing the work. And I think that that compassion is what is going to help people get to where they need to go. And also, I think when you see it and when you feel it, it just feels better.
1: No, and I think there's some truth to that. I'm bummed I didn't get to go. But like at the time, I didn't know I was going to pay for my groceries. So I really didn't know how I'm definitely not going to California on my own dime, even if I had been able to get complimentary pass. So Josh Brown, he has judged more than anybody I know because he's so out there. Obviously, he's a CNBC contributor. He's very opinionated. He puts himself out there on purpose. He's got a thick New York accent. He's a white guy. Josh Brown is the poster child for like building something from nothing. But what I appreciate about Josh more than anything is that he doesn't forget his own struggles and where he came from. And he has made it his mission to change the complexion to change the industry. And Mm -hmm. I think what he's done with Future Proof, what he's done just in putting himself out there, the types of people he chooses to associate and highlight and tell his story. Yeah, he gets trolled probably more than either one of us, but neither one of us have a million followers on Twitter either. So it comes with the territory. Tyrone Ross is another one. These are people who like truly are incredible inspirations, but people see them for who they are today and don't appreciate where they came from. But more importantly, what they're both doing, which I find so incredibly inspiring, is that they are making sure that despite what people may think of them and their haters, they are authentically themselves, they won't change for anybody, and they are committed to changing the way this industry operates. And I want to be part of that. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. So candid, that's why I talk so often about women in finance, and that's why I've been as authentic as I can possibly be because people relate to authenticity. And also people need to know that at any given moment, your life can change and everything can be taken away and all the planning and everything in the world isn't going to change that. So you have to have the intestinal fortitude to like pull yourself out. And it helps when you have people to lean on and people whose stories can act as sort of your roadmap on how to get through the toughest of tough times.
0: I'm not even going to add anything to that. I'm going to go ahead and say, you know what, I'm going to let you give some parting gifts to the yes. I think you just killed it. Like, I don't, I don't have anything to add. As we're wrapping up here, as you know, this is Minority Money Podcast We're Changing mm-hmm. the Complexion of Wealth. I'm not going to go through the questions with you because you've done that before. But what I want to say is, I don't even know if you really have to say anything else because you said it all, right? Like that was great. But I want to give you an opportunity to speak to someone anyone that may be going through something and as you've went through your journey and you've overcome just a parting gift for them like because you're on the other side now. Mm-hmm. Now we're gonna see you.
1: Well you know we hope we're the on the other side. You know the, we're on the, the
0: other side. We're calling and putting that the, in the universe. I
1: have had the rug pulled out from me so many times. <laughs> it's almost scary for me to be like, no, I'm definitely on the other side. But I truly believe that at this point because everything really does seem to be working despite myself. Like mm-hmm. despite my reluctance. So I do feel very confident. That I am on the other side of that. But if I had any words of advice for somebody who's going through something right now, it's that life is full of hardships and that is what makes us who we are. And when you're in that dark place, it's hard to see it. And sometimes there are people like me who just don't want anybody in their lives at all, don't want to talk to anyone. But one of the things I've found, and I have a friend, Brittany, who also through a similar period since the beginning of the Pandemic has gone through. She's somebody, again, you would look at. She used to be a supermodel, walked every runway, celebrities. She's dropped a gorgeous five foot 10 still swimsuit model kind of thing, who, like, again, like struggling herself. And she, like me, doesn't like to be bothered. But when you're going through something like that, or if you have a friend who seems to be pulling away and you don't know why, or did something or made a mistake, which you don't agree with what they did but they're suffering. Sometimes just reaching out and letting them know, even if they don't respond, that you're there is what they need. And for me, that was important. I know my friend Brittany, same thing. With Brittany, it's been, she didn't always respond. I might check in with her and not hear from, her from weeks. But as she now is getting through this period, she said to me, those little check-ins just let me know somebody cared. And so many times when you're in that place, that dark place where you're like, why am I here? What value do I bring? I have no value. Life is miserable. It's hard. And there's no reason for me to be here. Having just somebody check in and say, hey, thinking of you care, I'm here if you need me, is the thing you need to get through. But also just have faith that things tend to work out the way they're supposed to, even in the darkest moments. And if you lose that faith that like things are going to turn You don't know when. For me, it was very long. If you lose that faith and you lose hope, that's the killer. That's what will keep you down. So for me, that meant meditating. Every night before I went to bed, even if I had the worst day ever and I didn't get out of bed that entire day, I had like a little meditation that I would listen to. I had Mind Valley, which has some really good and lessons uh, that you can download on their app or the Breathe app where I would Do like pour to sleep meditation or hypnotherapy thing every single night, just to hear somebody say there's hope things are gonna be okay, even if I didn't feel that way, because subconsciously it did sink in. So don't lose hope, even in the darkest moment, even if it's only for 30 seconds, you say to yourself all is not lost. Like that's important, and whatever you turn to, for me, like I said, it was Mind Valley. Some people it's going to church and praying to God and looking for signs, like. It's not always instant and you just have to trust. But if you lose hope, that's when bad things happen. So if nothing else you learn from my experience is if for like 30 seconds a day, you just write down, I have not lost hope or I know things will work out as they should. And I accept whatever is going to happen. Those things are necessary to make it through those dark times. And then if you have a friend that you notice is starting to like retreat and not answer the phone and not wanting to go out. Just check in with them. Just let them know you're there because sometimes that's all they need, even if they don't answer.
0: You heard it here. That's wise words from a wise woman. And she's my friend. She's my friend, y'all. This is my friend right now. So I'm <laughs> glad that we can have you come on today and share of what you were doing and wish you nothing but the best. And I know you're going to succeed. I know you're going to kill it because that's what you do. You get out there and, and you handle business. I know I have the utmost faith in you. And just to sit here and watch you talk about it, there's no way it's not going to work. You'll be fine. I promise you, you'll be fine. And it's needed. So if people want to get more of you, where can they find you? What social medias are you active on? Or is there a website they can go to?
1: All of the above. I am on Twitter. Shana asked 621. I actually now want to change my handle to Queen of Alts because Cynthia Murphy from Toroso Investments has anointed me that. I didn't give myself that title, but I will mm-hmm. gladly accept it. The problem is I've had my Twitter account for like 12 years. And if I change my handle now, like no one will ever find me. So Shana S621, very boring, but that's my handle. Finance underscore Queen 2020 on Instagram. You can find me on LinkedIn just by my name. And then Capital.com and ShanaSissel.com. Both of those places you can find me and contact me through those portals. And I am quick to respond. I'm one of those people that typically responds to almost anybody who reaches out to me, assuming it's not like some creepy guy or.
0: So you heard it all there. We will put all that in the show notes. And once again, I thank you for coming on and hanging out and sharing your story with the community. I know it is going to touch very many people. And like I said, thanks again.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate you letting me tell my story. This is the first time I've had a chance to sit down and really tell it.
0: I'm glad you did it here. And
1: you heard it here first,
0: right? You, you heard exclusive. it here first. <laughs> exclusive. And as you all know, this is the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Until next time. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP. To support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know. That really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please, reach out to an attorney or a CPA. Or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at Fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast. So we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here. And until next time.